morning. Another good morning. Got to do one for me. I'm Clara Moranville, and my husband and I, Randy, are the pastors of this church. We're glad you're here with us this morning. Okay, are you ready for your video clip? Good. I remember playing hide-and-seek quite a bit with my kids. I still do, but when they're younger, I, um, I found that I would hide behind uh, doors or, in, or in, uh, behind the curtains and things like this. But um, sometimes I would hide so well that they couldn't find me, and there's frustration would build up, and they'd be crying out, Dad, where are you? And then finally I'd break out, and they were happy to see me. But I found that uh, what was more thrilling for my heart, and therefore God being a father, he must have these kinds of feelings as well, is that when I would hide behind the curtain and leave my foot out, and when the kids would come running into the room, they'd see me, and they'd get so excited, there you are, and they'd run, and they'd rip the curtain back, and their eyes lit up, as did mine. And I, and I realized they had the best time finding me. And I think it's, it's similar, in, except to a much greater, greater degree, is, is God wanting us to find him. He's got his foot out in every way to be found. And, um, and the, the, the delight on his eyes uh, is equal to only into the delight of your own eyes when you, when you have one of those connects. Now, have you ever thought of God being somebody who wanted to be found? That his feet are sticking outside of the curtain so you can easily find him? You ever thought of him that way? Um, Well, we've been working on a series called Outflow. And in this series, uh, we're going to be learning a lot about being filled up so that we can pour out onto others. And last week when we started, we identified that in order to be filled up, there were certain things that we're going to make ourselves available to. And we need to have a living, vibrant, intimate relationship with God. Now, often Christians talk about having a personal relationship with God. And although that may be really regular talk for most of you, a lot of folks who are been raised in a worldview where their religion has been different, um, they don't really understand what you're talking about. Or maybe they've never had real contact with um, followers of Christ. And so that whole concept of having a relationship with God is very foreign. Um, you know, God in his ki- kindness and wisdom gives us a lot of relationships in our lives to help bridge the not knowing to the knowing, the not you know, experiencing to the finding. And in these relationships, we have relationships found in families like parent and child, uh, between a husband and wife, grandparents and grandchildren. And in the church, we have brother and sister relationships in Christ. We have relationships between friends, and we have relationship with a shepherd and a sheep or a pastor and a member of the church. And when these relationships are good, then they're good bridges of connecting us to God. And when they're bad, they're stumbling blocks. And they make God look bad. And it makes it harder for us to experience a God who is good and loving. Now, I'm a grandmother. And I have three grandchildren. All of them have blonde hair and blue eyes. Go figure. If I take them shopping, people will wonder if I'm their nanny when really I'm their grandmama. Anyway, I love these kids. I'm not a very pushy grandma. And so if they want to give me a kiss, they can. I don't get my feelings hurt if they don't want to give me a kiss. But when they're ready to give me a kiss, I'm right there enjoying every moment, every slob. Now, the thing is, is that I don't get my feelings hurt if they don't feel like kissing me, 
because, like I said, I'm not a very pushing grandma. Um, but I do things to make it a little hard for them to not want to kiss me. You know, I'll give them, I'll play with them, or I'll give them another strawberry, even though it's right before dinner. And, you know, that's my prerogative. I'm a grandma. And nobody in this room would argue about that except for my adult children who have those kids. They're the only ones that think grandma and grandpapa are spoiling our kids, and we're not sure after we get them back if we're going to let them spend another night there. But it is just the nature of being a good grandparent. So when it's time to leave, you can bet your booties that they're going to insist to have one more kiss from grandmama and one more kiss from grandpapa before they leave the door. Now, when I was visiting Matt and Tab in Houston, they have um, our third grandchild, who is a boy, his name is Sebastian. I was there last week. And he and I got to play hide-and-seek for a very long time. And he never got tired. I mean, we were 30 minutes into it. The only reason why we stopped was because it was time to eat. And they have this family room with this huge sectional sofa. So I would run around and hide myself and pop out. And he'd giggle all over again. And then I'd run the other way and pop out and giggle. I mean, he just did not get tired of playing hide-and-seek. And so the next day when I left and his mom gave me a call and she said, Sebastian's been walking around that sectional sofa all day saying, ma, 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 ma. And he was looking for that crazy lady that was playing hide-and-seek with him. Now, it was such a delight to me to have Sebastian or any of my grandchildren enjoy my company. And it is a delight to the Lord when you have company with him. And now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Verse 21. Now, you're not going to have the, the PowerPoint up above because this came after I sent the PowerPoint to uh, Mike to make the, the slides. So you really need to open your Bibles. Chapter 10, verse 21. Okay. Okay, in chapter 10, verse 21, it says this. At that very time, he, who is Jesus, Rejoice greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was for this. Sorry, for this way was pleasing in your sight. Now, if we look at the words rejoice greatly. Now, maybe some of you appreciate this. I think the VLI students will. The Greek word is alamai. And that comes from a word, the root, which is agon, which means to leap, to jump, and to spring up. Okay? Leap, jump, and spring up. Okay, so I want you all to do that. Let's get up. Because I want you to see how Jesus was reacting when he was going to experience this. Ready? Leap, jump, and spring up. Good job. Okay, sit down. So, I mean, he was pretty excited, right? Now, this word is only used once in the whole entire Bible. And so, therefore, it was only used once in reference to Jesus. So I guess maybe a man filled with the Holy Spirit could leap and jump so big that they had to come up with another word. I don't know. But he obviously was very excited. Why is Jesus and why is the Father, why are they excited? Why are they happy about some folks figuring out spiritual matters and others not? What were they hiding anyway? And who were they hiding from? Let's look at verse 22. All things have been committed to me, my father, to be by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son. 
and those to whom the Father chooses to reveal him. Now, it appears to me that Jesus is really excited about hiding himself from wise people. Now, doesn't that sound kind of mean? Don't those verses bother you? Now, when I have my devotional times, I'll bump into something that bothers me. I don't really like it. And so I'll pause and I'll write that down and I'll investigate, I'll research, I'll figure it out, I'll ask questions, I'll pray about it. Because you know what? The Bible has a lot of things to stumble over. And you've got to pause to investigate and search it out. So anyway, it seems to me that Jesus wanted to know people to know him. So this really seems very strange. Why was Jesus so excited about keeping things hidden? What does he have against wise people? Does this mean that the gospel is really only going to be good for kids and dumb people? People who are gullible enough to believe in the cross? Do these things in verse 21 are the things that the Father committed to Jesus, the cross, salvation, redemption, healing, the kingdom. And unless Jesus chooses to reveal himself to you, you're not going to know who the Father is. Well, guess what? Jesus came to earth. Because he wanted to reveal himself to us. Because the Father wants you to see him and know him. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He wants to be found. So what is Jesus excited about? What made the Father well pleased? Well, first of all, the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand and to grasp. I think the youngest child, I have, we have five daughters, And the youngest one of them to receive Christ, she was two and a half. Now, I would have not believed she could have done that, except that my first daughter was three and a half. My second daughter was three and a half. My third daughter was three and a half. And by that time, I think we just got a little bit better about expressing what Father God is like. So at two and a half, I wasn't surprised that she was ready to understand the gospel and give her life to the Lord. So here is Jesus hiding himself behind the curtain with his feet sticking out. And he wants the kids to be able to stumble into him and find him. He wants the little seekers to be able to find him. Secondly, wise people have something in common. They like discovering truth. They like working hard to find truth. They like it the harder it is when they find it. And the harder they have to work, the more they appreciate what they found. And it's more rewarding. And God knows that about wise people. And so here was Jesus just thinking, God, our plan is so great. We made it so easy that an infant can figure it out. And we made it hard enough at the same time for a really smart person that's really into deep thoughts to have to work to find us. Oh, God. You are fantastic. And that's why Jesus was leaping and jumping and springing up. Because he's just like, this is awesome. Now let's read the scripture again. Because now you're going to be able to see it in a different light. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well pleasing in your sight all things have been committed to me my father no one knows who the father is except the father and no one knows who the father is except the son i read that wrong but you got it and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him 
God wants us to find him. He delights when we find him. And he has already chosen to reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you have a friend who's kind of smart and taking a while to find God, don't lose heart. It's all part of God's plan. It's all part of his process to help them move through the process of discovery and checking this out and checking that out and thinking that'll help and that'll work. And finally, they just go, I can't do this. It doesn't work. And that's when they'll find the Lord. Now, how are we going to get an overflowing life? Overflowing life depends on how we relate to God. Just as a happiness in marriage depends on how you relate in a marriage. When a husband and wife are relating well, everybody's happy. If I am happy with Randy and Randy's happy with me, you can bet that we're going to be happy with the kids. And the way we relate to another does affect the people around us. Now, what kind of relationship do you want to have with God? Okay, let me ask it this way. What kind of relationship do you definitely don't want to have with a human being? You don't want somebody who's stingy and self-focused or angry, apathetic or vindictive. You don't want somebody who's sour, sorrow. That's a hard word for my Latin lips to say. Sour and legalistic or uncaring. But you know, those are the kinds of things that people say about our God. And it's because they have distorted perceptions of God. Now, there's a book called Always a Daddy's Girl written by Norman Wright. And in it, he describes how what people think has a lot to do with how they experience their parents, especially their human fathers. Let me just quote. If your father was a weakling and you couldn't depend on him to help you or defend you, your image of God may be that of a weakling. You may feel that you are unworthy of God's comfort and support or that he's unable to help you. Wright goes on the list of other descriptions of human fathers, such as critical, harsh, and discouraging. And all those things can affect your view of a heavenly father it can affect your view of yourself. Now, when I was a little girl, uh, my parents trained me not to ask um, what I, or tell them what I wanted for Christmas or my birthday. That was considered ungrateful and unappreciative. So when Christmas came along, whatever they gave me was what I appreciated and what I wanted. Now, I don't know if that was because my mom was Panamanian and that was the way she was raised. I don't know. Is that Panamanian, Donna? Más o menos, that means yes, no, sort of, right? Or maybe because both of them were raised during the Depression. I don't know why they were like that. But when I married Randy, Randy has no problem telling you exactly what he wants to do and where he wants to do it. And I was just shocked because I was taught to always defer. And so our first Christmas, he told his parents what he wanted for Christmas not only that, but he told them what I wanted for Christmas. And I was just, like, I, appalled. I mean, I was like, I can't believe you told them what I wanted for Christmas. And as a matter of fact, my first birthday, they got me a 10-speed or 30-speed bike. A 10-speed bike. Yeah, a 10-speed bike. And I just, like, I could not believe it. Now, you can imagine how that understanding of a father God or parents, 
hindered my ability to go to God in prayer and ask for something that I wanted or I desired. Well, the good news is God is not like the portrayal that our parents have been to us. You know, we also get negative conceptions of God from movies. Has anybody seen a movie where God or God's people are portrayed in a poor light? Aren't they mostly like that? I mean, you have to go to a Christian movie like Fireproof or um, Amazing Grace. You know, one of those is like, okay, we're going to be preached at. To find an example of God or his people behaving in a manner that is true to the gospel. The good news really is that God is not like the movies portray him or, or other kinds of media. God is exactly like Jesus. Now let's look at John 10, verse 30. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. And then in John 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Then Jesus answered, have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So later in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, Paul says, Don't let anybody capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in a human body. Wow. Okay. So if God is not all that bad, if Jesus is not all that bad, then what is he like? Well, way too much than I can say in... I mean, the scriptures say it would take more books than there's possible to write all the great things that God has done. So I'm just going to limit it to a few. Let's look quickly at some of the personality traits that describe Jesus. First, Jesus is generous. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So Jesus is generous and he's accepting. John 4, 7 through 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you be asking me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So we see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, and she's surprised because Jews refuse to do, have anything to do with Samaritans. And not only is Jesus accepting a woman, he is accepting of children. Look here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus is rebuking his disciples for trying to keep the kids away from him so he could bless them. He said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these kids or children. Okay, so now Jesus is forgiving. Luke 23 through 34. Jesus asked God to forgive the very people who beat him, crucify him, and kill him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I think I've needed that prayer a few times. Father, forgive Clara because she doesn't know what she's doing. 
Mark chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, Jesus angers some religious people because he forgives a paralytic sinner. And then he chooses to heal him. Jesus is generous, he's accepting, he's forgiving, and he's interested in you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Give all your worries. Anybody have a worry this morning? All right, so here's the word for you. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. In Matthew 6, verses 28 through 30, look at the lilies of the fields and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the Texas wildflowers that are here today and thrown tomorrow in the fire, he will certainly take care of you. So Jesus is really quite different than the distorted ideas of many of us who have heard about God. His approach to relationship is also very different than maybe some of us have been approached in life. Jesus does relationships really different. Most human relationships are essentially self-serving. Now, there's a famous, famous poet, his um, A. H. Auden, once said, quote, Almost all of our relationships begin, and most of them continue, as forms of mutual exploitation, a mental or physical barter to be terminated when one or both parties run out of goods. Most human relationships, either consciously or subconsciously, are about what's in it for me. And most of you can relate to the ideas of human selfishness. I will put in a good word for you with the boss if you help me with this deadline. I'll mow your lawns, sure, if you mow my lawns. I will be affectionate with you after you do some chores around the house. I will be your friend if I see a potential for moving up the ladder. But if you're a geek, I'm dumping you. Now, Jesus does not seek out relationship for us to get anything from us. He's not looking for acceptance or status or for people who will make him look good. I mean, let's look at some of the people that followed Jesus and see if you can identify yourself with any of them. Simon Peter. Now, when we get to know Peter, he's a proof that Jesus is not into appearances. Simon Peter was a fisherman, and yet he was chosen as the leader of the apostles. Running a fishing boat was a stinky, smelly, dangerous job. Handling fish and nets all day... Catching it, getting them ready for the market, you had to gut them. And so he's probably full of fish gut, fish junk, and smelled pretty bad. And I think probably Jesus smelled Simon and Andrew before he actually saw them. Yeah, they're pretty stinky people. In Simon Peter's case, not only was he stinky, and he also had a hot temper. And seemingly had very little ability to pay much attention to what was being said. Now, Peter was not exactly what you would choose for a sophisticated, high-level executive for a worldwide ministry. And yet, Jesus looks past the smell and past the temper, and he uses Peter as the beginning of an awesome movement. Jesus doesn't care how people look or smell. And he doesn't really view us that way. Rather, he sees past the surface us to the real us. Okay, let's look at Nicodemus, because maybe you don't relate to Peter. Here's a person who's different from Peter, 
as a person can be. Nicodemus was a well-respected religious teacher. And he came to Jesus during the night. And he, um, Jesus, didn't, uh, just, oh wait, Jesus didn't agree to meet with Nicodemus because he was somebody that could do something for him. He's not impressed with his reputation or education. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And he was considered one of the rulers of the Jews. In fact, some people refer to him as the Bible answer man. And yet Jesus takes the time to explain to him the elementary basics parts of having a relationship with God in chapter 3 of John. The point is that a relationship with God doesn't depend on one's reputation or how much they know about the Bible. Jesus wants to get to know him personally. Okay, now I want you to fill in this blank, okay? If you want to get something done right, do it yourself. Now, it sounds to me like some of you said you've got to do it yourself or do it yourself. Now, how many of you agree with that statement? Come on, be honest. Okay. If you agree with that statement, you are probably a hardworking, self-sacrificing person like Martha. If we look at Martha and Mary um, in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, Martha's brother Lazarus had invited Jesus and a whole bunch of his friends over to have a dinner. And so Martha is up up for it, and she's working hard, really hard to get it all together, and she gets overwhelmed and starts blaming her sister Mary for not helping. Because instead of helping, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he's saying and acting like she's one of the disciples. Now, the Bible says that Martha approaches Jesus and says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now, I felt like this the other day when I was working on my sermon and cooking dinner. And suddenly, I smell something from the other room. And I run into the kitchen, and sure enough, the dinner that I was creating and have forgotten about was burning. The deal is that my other family members were playing games in the kitchen right 10 feet away from the pot. And somebody else had walked into the room and said, "Hmm, is this burning? So I felt exactly like Martha. Doesn't it seem unfair to you, God, that my husband and my kids and my friends are sitting here while I do all the work? Tell them to come and help me. But Jesus replied, and this basically shocked Martha. My dear Martha. You are worried and upset over these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, for an ancient Near East woman, what could be more important than taking care of your family and feeding your family and caring for your home? Martha must have thought, Jesus is nuts. My whole identity is wrapped up in serving and submitting to my family's needs. That is what Mary should be doing. That should be her identity. Now, I've said this before, but one thing that really irked Martha was that Mary was acting like a man. Men sit at the feet of rabbis, the master teacher. That is no place for a woman. Her place is in the kitchen. The position of sitting by a master teacher meant that someday you would graduate and someday you would be a teacher yourself. And that was not the place of a woman. But Jesus lets Martha know 
your worldview, your paradigm has been opposing my plan for women long enough. You are a product of your culture, but not my kingdom's culture. You believe that God has placed you in this position because he made you a woman. But I say, what Mary has chosen to do is the only thing that really matters to me, God. That is being with me, learning from me, being filled by me. And Jesus is not really concerned about what Martha does in the kitchen. For him or anyone else, he wants her to be with him so he could fill her up. And the secret is that Mary discovered is you need to connect deeply with Jesus in order to be filled up enough to serve. Now, although Mary was un- unto, onto something with this whole idea and how she related to Jesus, I don't want you to formulate, okay, this is the way it's got to look because it looks different. Our relating to God looks different for each one of us. And I'm going to show you some biblical examples so you are convinced about this. Peter was a lousy excuse me, allowed and messy in his relationship with Jesus. When you read about Jesus and Peter, you recognize that Peter is very bold, enthusiastic, and sometimes down, you know, just um, downright foolhardy. And he has a, we use this personality assessment tool here at our church a lot for our leaders. It's called DISC, D-I-S-C. And the DISC model basically helps us to understand our personality and why we think and do the things the way we do. Now, D, which is a type of personality, stands for dominating, directing, driving, determined, and decisive. C is for cautious, competent, calculating, careful, contemplative people. I are for those who are inspiring or influencing, impressing, and they're interested in people. And S is for steady, stable, servant, submissive, specialist. And based on what we've just read, Peter was definitely a D. Domineering, doing, direct, outspoken personality. For often he talked and acted before he thought. One minute Jesus is praising him for his faith, the next minute he's chastising him for having too little faith. The bottom line is that Peter and Jesus have a great relationship. It fits them perfectly. It was a minute-by-minute drama, and Jesus and Peter loved each other. Now, some of you can instantly relate to Peter. Don't be ashamed about that. I tend to be like Peter. Others of you look at that relationship and you cringe. That in-your-face dialogue is way too much for me. It makes me really uncomfortable. That is not my style. And if that's true for you, I have good news for you. You don't have to be like Peter or like me. Everyone has his or her own unique, unique way of relating to Jesus. Some of you are more like Nicodemus who was slow and steady. He's a lot more cautious and calculating about how he's going to make a decision. And so he goes to Jesus in the night because he needs to ask him some questions, but he doesn't want anybody labeling him before he's sure about this decision he's going to make. He's asking, what will this cost me? Is this the best decision to follow Jesus? Is he the one? I mean, I know what I'm feeling inside, but I can't go with my feelings. i got to know that I know I'm making the right decision. He has questions, and he's wondering if Jesus can answer them. Nicodemus didn't dive in headfirst like Peter. He was careful, and he has a C kind of personality, cautious, calculating, thoughtful personality. And some of you are like Nicodemus. 
You're slow and steady about some of the decisions you make. When you're approaching Jesus, you're a little slow about it. When we're going to change something in the church, you're a little slow on it. This approach drives certain people in this audience crazy. Because it takes you so long to make a decision, but it's okay. Because everyone has a unique way of relating to God. And we need the slow and steady to keep the bold and crazy intact. Jesus doesn't mind you figuring him out. He wants you to seek him out and find him. Now, Martha was the servant. She was the kind of person who you could count on to help. If she saw that the glass was half full, she ran over there and made sure to fill it up. She was not one who needed to be told what to do. She just could see what needed to be done and got into it. At times, she, her needs overwhelmed her because, you know, you can only submit and serve so many people before you run out. She definitely has an S personality, and she learned to submit, and she was a specialist on the things that she knew to do. Now, many of us fall into that similar pattern. The good news, again, is Jesus understands you. He is always present, always willing to guide you and help you and fill you so that you can serve with the power of the Holy Spirit. A growing relationship with Jesus is critical for S personalities, D personalities, and every single kind of personality. The person who stands out for the I personality I picked was Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Okay, a lot of you work with the kids upstairs when your community group turn comes up, and that's one of the songs that they like to sing. And Zacchaeus made a lot of decisions in life, but often they were based on what the people around him thought. Okay, if his friends were conniving, he was going to be conniving. And he loved to be in crowds. And so it's no surprise that we first meet Zacchaeus in a crowd, wanting to go, hey, what are you all looking at? I want to be it. I want to see what's going on. And so there's Zacchaeus. He wants to know what's the new rate. And so he runs. There's Zacchaeus in the crowd. And Jesus knows this about him. He's not surprised by Zacchaeus. He knows exactly what kind of personality he has. And the Lord uses it. Hey, guess what, Zacchaeus? I won't come into your house today. And by, while you're at it, go get some of your friends. So Jesus knew what kind of friends Zacchaeus had. And it was an opportunity for Jesus to be with them. The crowds inspire Zacchaeus. They inspire him to climb a tree, even though he was going to look ridiculous. They inspire him at the party. And at the party, Zacchaeus is so inspired by the people and by Jesus that he begins to inspire everybody in that room by making this toast to his honored guest, Jesus. I promise to pay back four times anything I have stolen from people. Definitely an I personality. Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus fills him so much that he cannot help himself but to pour out generosity and give more than he had taken. And once again, that's wonderful because Jesus understands and can relate to each one of us. Peter, Martha, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus approach Jesus in their own way, based on their own personality. And the truth is, there are a lot of ways to approach Jesus, as there are people. Jesus always meets us where we're at. With all the character flaws you have, all the experiences you have, there is Jesus coming to you, understanding you how you think, and willing to hide himself with his feet sticking out, or hide himself like if, if you need to investigate him for a long time. 
Now, although everybody approaches Jesus differently, to have a healthy relationship with the person and with Jesus, we need to spend time in prayer. And we just have completed, not that long ago, our series on prayer. We need to spend time in worship. We need to spend time reading the Bible. We need to spend time with other Christians and serving others and showing them Christ in practical ways. Whoever you are, Jesus wants to have that kind of relationship, friendship with you that will fill you up. Now, you might, be, you might have some friends who love to spend hours of time praying alone. And that's great. I happen to be one of those people. It doesn't really fit with my deep personality, but it fits with other elements about me. Prayer is healthy and good. But you know what? If you were to pray like me, you probably would fall asleep. Because it doesn't fit with you. Maybe for you, if you're an I personality, you would do a lot better going to corporate prayer. We do that the second and the last Sunday of every month. To get together with some other people and feel inspired by the prayers of the others, that might be a better fit for you. Now, if you're C, you probably need a very regimented prayer list. These are the things we're going to pray about. And that would fit your personality, and you would be just thrilled about that. And if you're an S personality, you might prefer to be on our ministry team, and maybe you should be trained to be on our ministry team, or maybe you should be trained to work with Freedom in Christ so that you get an opportunity to serve other people. Now, some of you connect with God when you're singing worship here at church. It's getting easier and easier for me to connect with God in just about any setting But some of you need a corporate setting where there's music like it was this morning that was just beautiful. And hear those voices and that inspires you. Some of you really worship best with your iPods. Definitely a one-to-one thing. Whatever, Maybe for you, you worship best at the beach or at night watching the stars. Though we all need to pray and worship, God is able to relate to you and what works for you. Reading the Bible, writing in journals, serving others, being with friends, doing missions, whatever will build your relationship with God, be about that. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, okay, how am I supposed to figure out what works for me? Well, you're going to know that you've tapped into Jesus when you begin flowing out his love. Okay? We can't not serve in the Spirit without being in the Spirit. If we're empty, empty is what we give. And so you'll know that what is working for you works when you find yourself in that position where you're constantly looking for opportunities to flow God's love out. If you're filling yourself during the week with worship, prayer, reading scripture, being with God's people, you're going to serve. It's just a byproduct. So find out what kind of personality you are and find out what process works for you and be about that during the week. Peter, Nicodemus, Mary, Zacchaeus were deeply transformed by the relationship with Jesus. And they began to think and feel and act differently after spending time with him. They stopped thinking about themselves and their worries and began to pour out compassion and power for those around them. And quickly, I want to just look through this at Peter in Acts chapter 3, verses 68. It tells of Peter's encounter with a crippled beggar. And in that passage, pretty much, Peter just says, I don't have anything for you but this. And that which I have, I give to you. And he basically, in the name of Jesus, tells him, stand up and walk. And he was walking and leaping, a different verb than the one of Jesus. 
But he was walking and leaping with God, and he went to the temple with them. Now, whatever limited Jesus before being filled with the Holy Spirit seems to have disappeared. I don't know if you remember, but when Jesus was on the cross, um, you know, the days before, he had denied Jesus three times. So something happened, and that something was the filling of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7, verses 50 to 51, let's look about Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, meaning one of the Pharisees, asked, Does your law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? Nicodemus was the only one who stood up for Jesus at the court of the Sanhedrin when he was accused. So you see the difference of investigating and asking about Jesus, then encountering Jesus, and now the boldness that this man has in the midst of his peers, in a time when it would have been, his situation was very much in jeopardy. And later on, we find out that Nicodemus risked his life and reputation by anointing this, quote, condemned criminal body with 75 pounds of expensive myrrh and spices in John 19.39. Now, you know what? That kind of activity was reserved for really close family members. Nicodemus identified himself that close with Jesus. And in that time, if you touch a dead body, you were considered unclean um, for 7 or 14 days, depending on the rituals you did to make yourself clean. And the next day was the Passover. So here was a Sanhedrin leader that was willing to make himself unclean and bypass all of those traditions in order to minister to his Lord. Okay, let's look look quickly at Mary. She's so filled up the next time she saw Jesus um, at that dinner engagement that she is the one who has this amazing treasure of a container of pure nard perfume that's worth a year's um, salary. Now just stop and think about that. A single bottle of perfume that cost your whole salary. Now, today in the United States Census Bureau, the medium household income today is about $46,000. Now, could you imagine a bottle of perfume costing that much? What was anybody doing with perfume that cost that much? How did she get? Did she sell her diary? Did she sell her retirement to buy that bottle? I mean, where did she go? Did she go down the shop where Keens buy their bottles of perfume? Now, there's a department store in, I was looking, Googling for the most expensive department store in the world because I was trying to find the most expensive perfume. And Herod, in department store in London, in one day, makes $26 million. In one day. it's a lot of money. Anyway, uh, the most expensive perfume, in case you want to know, was Imperial Majesty, a limited edition by Clive Christian. It's a signature scent and is simply sold as Number one, that's the name of it. And the fragrance is priced at $2,150 an ounce. So what was Mary doing with that perfume? She took a fortune of her income from somewhere and pours it out on Jesus' feet. What do you think Mary was thinking? See, when I read the scriptures, those are the kinds of questions I ask. What was she thinking? Jesus likes those questions. Write them down in your journal and pause with the Holy Spirit and let him interact with you. What do you think others in the room were thinking? Clearly, 
She's not thinking about herself. She's not thinking about what others may say in ridicule of her. She is thinking about her God and about pouring everything that was precious to her at his feet. This is the kind of outflow that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He's referring to this situation. Now, God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. We have to be filled up with Jesus before we can experience outflow. Now, if anyone here isn't being filled with Jesus, what's holding you back? What are you waiting for? Jesus says, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, in our community groups, we are working on a series called The Outflow. Because we understand that we need to be filled before we can be poured out. And I really want to recommend all of you to go to your, continue to go to your community groups and those who haven't been going to find a way to get to one of them. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. The variety of them all over the city. And go there and find out together how do we get filled in order to pour out. Now, if you have never had a relationship with Jesus, this is a great day to start. And if you've had a relationship with Jesus and you're feeling a little dry, this is a great day to start. To invite God to come and fill you up. Now, just close your eyes. I'm just going to say a little simple prayer. One that you could really say any day of your life. Jesus. Here I am. Come into my life. Have access to my life, Jesus. Fill me with your living water. Show me how to daily be filled by you. Wash away my sins, Lord. And make your life flow out through me. Amen. Now, if anybody in this room, that's the first time that you have asked Jesus into your heart, do you want to raise your hand? Okay. Now, for those of you who have been followers of Jesus, it's that simple. A prayer like that. Invitational to God to come and fill you up. Now, if any of you don't have a Bible, we're very committed to make sure you have the Word of God in your hands. And so you're going to find that at the stage and always at the back welcome table, if you're shy, go back there. If you're an I or a D, then come up here. We'll talk to you and give you a Bible. Because um, we want you to have that because you need to be reading it. And if you don't know where to start, I would recommend you don't start at the beginning. That's Genesis. But I would start on the second half of the book, like reading one of the Gospels, Gospel of John or Gospel of Mark, and find out who Jesus is and how the Holy Spirit works. And those of you who have purchased the Outflow devotional, keep reading them. You're going to be on the second week. And that will continue to create um, a hunger and a thirst for God and encounters with him that will fill you up to overflowing. Now, last week, we gave out balloons with quarters attached to them and an invitation. This week, we're going to be giving out water bottles. And I want you all to come up and take two. 
one for you, and one for you to give away. The one for you is to remind you, I need to be filled up first before I can give. Okay? And the second one is for you to give away. Okay? And there are invitations both on this end and that end to the party that we're having on November the 16th. And I want you to all come up. And those that are left over, then I'll gather some friends together and we'll probably go to that same park and give them away to folks that we see there at the park. But I want you to leave with a symbol of today's service. I've got to be filled and I've got to give. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for the wisdom of your word and the characters that you put in there, Peter and Nicodemus and Martha and Mary and Zacchaeus. And thank you that we can relate to them. You're, we're not strangers to you, Lord. I mean, you, you slept with those guys for three years. You ate with them. You saw them burp. You saw them do all kinds of great things and silly things. And you're accustomed to them, Lord. And you're accustomed to us. And you love us. And, Father, I pray that you would fill us so much with the Holy Spirit that we would find ourselves... Um, having opportunities to boldly, Lord, and to quietly serve our community and serve the people in our lives. And, Father, I pray that um, you would bless these water bottles. And, Father, you would put them in the hands of those, Father, who are really thirsty and hungry for God, for you, Lord. That you would uh, direct our body, Lord, on people who are there to give. And you would bless those encounters. And, Father, if any of them have opportunities to pray for those folks that they give water bottles to, Lord, I pray that you would just let them know that's what I'm doing. And if that's not what you're doing, Lord, then just be at peace. And so, Lord, fill us now, overflowing with your Son, with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what we're going to do, starting with the first row, just come up, take an invitation, take two bottles. And if you want prayer for anything else that's going on in your life, not related to anything we talked about, then just hang out here toward the front and there will be folks to pray for you. God bless you and thank you for coming.